Hello and welcome to the Barcast. I'm your host, Nick Barr. Much less jet lag than I was last time we spoke. Probably operating at 87% capacity today. Feeling pretty good. A little decaffeinated. Um, but overall, great. I, I wanted to talk about constraints today. Vine just announced that it was shutting down, or Twitter announced that it was shutting down Vine. Vine is the six-second video platform. And um, as the thought pieces kind of came in, um, there's a lot of talk about community and the viability of communities as businesses, um, as well as uh, reminiscing on how much creativity happened on Vine. And of course, I think it's Jack Dorsey who famously tweeted something like constraints breed creativity, sort of subtweeting his own product, Twitter, as well as Vine, Twitter with its 140 characters, Vine with its six second limitations. You get to see sort of great creativity. The hypothesis being that you never would have seen that creativity had Twitter not had a character limit or Vine not had a, a duration limit. And so that's, that's the sort of table stakes of constraints, right? Oh, constraints are great because constraints breed creativity. Um, and we're not going to disagree with that. We're just going to go deeper. Um, I guess a couple of meta notes before we do, I'm going to try, let's see if I can do two things and you'll have to help me. One is I noticed that like, I listened to myself on the podcast the other day, that was a huge mistake. And I think like, I worry that I have a little bit of the inflection, the podcast voice that Sam Harris has on his podcast, which is called like Sam Harris's head is a cloud. Uh, what's it called? Deep thoughts. It can't be called deep thoughts. God waking up the waking up podcast. And, uh, I, I don't, I don't like Sam Harris, but the reason I don't like him is cause I just don't like his voice and the way he talks. I don't, it's not anything about his opinions or views. It's just something about him rubs me the wrong way. And then I was listening to myself. I was like, you kind of sound like Sam Harris. Not the tone, but it's it's a little bit of this inflection, especially the beginning. So let's see if I can do my Sam Harris impression. I'm kind of like, hello, this is Sam Harris, and this is waking up. I kind of end every sentence in a little bit of kind of this way. Um, I guess I can't really do it. And he's always kind of like a little bit irritated. I don't know. I, if I could talk like my hero, uh, Dan Carlin, that would be, that'd be great. Like, today we're going to talk about constraints again. Anyway, the other, so the other thing, so I wanted to not talk like Sam Harris. That was a, that was a note I left for myself. And then the other note I left for myself was try to say, um, less just for fun. I, I think I'll probably go back to saying um all the time, but I wanted to see as an exercise if I could just excise ums and ers, et cetera, from my vocabulary. So we're going to try to do that starting now. So constraints. Constraints breed creativity. And of course, this is something that I had embraced in a very special undergraduate class that I might have mentioned before. It was called Experimental Poetry taught by Charles Bernstein. I have the syllabus open now and I'll share it in the show notes. It's a great syllabus, but Charles is an exceptional professor and teacher, 
full class is actually experimental writing seminar constraints and collaborations. So constraints is even written into the title of the course. And we uh, got to do all sorts of writing uh, within constraints. And so I'm looking at the first class. The first class is substitution, Mad Lib, seven up or down, some sort of classic substitution exercises. And all this in, in my head, starts with uh, Ulipo, the sort of like French avant-garde literary school started by Raymond Cuneau and maybe others in the 40s, I think, in Paris. I, I don't know much about them, but their output was all sorts of games and exercises that sort of shake you out of your habit. So... Seven up or seven down, for instance, is substituting out, let's say, every noun with a, a, another noun, either seven up or seven down from that original word in the dictionary. Uh, another classic writing exercise is called the lipogram. The lipogram is writing that prevents you from writing with one vowel or you can only write with one vowel. There's a James Thurber book. I can't remember the name of it, but I read when I was very young and I loved it, I think it was about the letter O. Let's Google it really quickly while we're here. So I can put that in the show notes too. Oh, let's see, the, the internet's awfully slow. So I guess it's called the wonderful O. And so I, I should add, like it's, it's nothing so lofty as an undergraduate course on experimental writing that got me interested in this stuff. It might be as early or earlier as James Thurber's The Wonderful O, which I probably read when I was about seven. Uh, and right, so the, the villains in this book don't use the letter O. And I, I guess at some point you sort of are introduced to the hero or, or there's a great place. And then I think they only use the letter O. It's a really beautiful book. James Thurber, of course, is one of the all-time greats. Anyway, this is all simply to say that I didn't need Twitter or Vine to tell me that constraints were effective creativity tools. There's another great tool called, uh, well, what is it called? It has the cut up engine on it, but there's just one woman running it. And there's all sorts of technology assisted creative tools there. And it's an exciting field. I'm into it. So totally, totally constraints breed creativity. Great. But sometimes I find that we sort of end the conversation about constraints there, that constraints are simply a creative tool meant for shaking you out of your habits. And I think that's like a, a misrepresentation of the power of constraints. And I wanted to at least give a brain dump of the other ways in which constraints matter and have come into my life. Most recently, I guess constraints have been useful uh, when I worked with Gary Chow at Orbital, which is a space for people to work in New York City. And Gary created a few iterations of programs to help other people launch their ideas. This was an evolution of work that Gary did at SVA. He taught an entrepreneurial design course and the objective of that course was to launch an idea and raise $1,000 from it. And so that's one kind of constraint. That was a constraint that was sort of an ambitious goal, right? So uh, 
it, it didn't necessarily hinder action, but it guided action toward a direction. And I, I think we can pause maybe and just talk briefly about etymologies and meanings. I, I've been interested since thinking about doing this podcast, what's the difference between a constraint and a restraint or what is constraint? And I tried to find some, some guides on it and I wasn't able to. And then I went to Quora and somebody had a nice articulation of what it meant for them. And it was informed by the Navy. Let me see if I can just dig this up really quickly. This podcast is all about bearing with me while web pages load slowly. But I loved, I loved the example because it was just grounded in, in real life and usage as opposed to the OED says, you know, this is appropriate and this is not, let's see, Quora is not loading for me. Uh, but I would really love to be able to quote this directly. So let's just sort of hang out here for a while. How was your weekend? Did you dress up for Halloween? I did dress up for Halloween. I was a, well, I went to a party that was called a portmanteau where we were asked to wear an outfit that was a portmanteau. And so I dressed up like an Australian person from the outback and wore a pig nose. And so I was snout back and I wouldn't, I wouldn't quite say it was a hit. Okay, here we go. Douglas Ivey, surface warfare officer, U.S. Navy. As a subset of the use of language in technical setting, the Navy has specific meanings for each. We see them as things we must do and things we must not do, respectively. That's constraints and restraints, respectively. From NWP 501 Navy Planning. Restraints are requirements placed on a command by a higher command that prohibit an action, thus restricting freedom of action, FOA, such as a prohibition on the use of mines. Constraints are requirements placed on a command by a higher command that dictate an action, thus restricting FOA, such as completing a task by a designated time. Both directly impact mission analysis and the planning process. Restraints and constraints collectively comprise limitations on the commander's FOA. It is also important to note that these are externally imposed and do not include self-imposed limitations. Restraints and constraints may be included in the ROE, that's Rules of Engagement, Commander's Guidance, or instructions from HHQ, Higher Headquarters. I'll give that an upvote. Isn't that, isn't that great? So very clear definitions here. Restraints are things you can't do and constraints are things that you must do. And I actually think that's consistent with our common understanding of constraints and restraints. That is to say, a constraint on Twitter, like 140 characters, isn't really preventing you. Well, you can make the case it's a restraint. It's restraining you from writing out more characters, but it's really constraining you. It's saying you've got to write it in 140 characters or less. Um, I would say a restraint would be no cursing on Twitter or uh, lol, no abuse on Twitter. Those would be restraints. The only exception I think here is is when he says, that's Douglas, says that these are externally imposed and do not include self-imposed limitations. We, we apply restraint all the time, most notably when we exercise restraint and hold our tongue on something that we would want to do. So that's Douglas Ivey shedding some light on restraints versus constraints. I got so absorbed in his thing that I kind of forgot where I was going with it. Let's see. So Gary's constraint then is to raise a thousand dollars 
so that precludes us from doing other things that might not raise a thousand dollars. But there are other kinds of constraints. Of course, Gary is a teacher. Uh, there was a time constraint, and so when he took this on the road uh, in something that he called the Orbital One K, which was a boot camp that anyone could attend to raise a thousand dollars, we created pretty strict timelines. Um, around your ability to raise those $1,000 and sort of milestones that you had to have. And in addition, anyone who was working at Orbital, we we tended as a group, whether we were doing a program or not, to try to be explicit about constraints and, and, and mark time and mark progress. And I think if you were ever an independent person, the passage of time is one of the trickiest things to navigate because you lose all those milestones or posts that you get for free within an organization, of course, because an organization, the CEO says, well, you've got to launch this by July 8th, or if you're at a particularly rigorous organization, you might do work in sprints and have a strong definition of done about what has to get done in those two weeks. But if you're independent, it's really up to you to create all those restrictions or constraints, one might call them. And it's certainly not an appealing idea to sort of say, okay, well, every Monday I'm on the hook for saying this is what I think I'm going to get done and reflect on what I actually got done. But I think anyone who's gone through that would, would probably tell you how useful that is. So, of course, constraints can be time, right? And one of my, one of my joys uh, of childhood was summer camp. And I'm always fascinated by my memories of summer camp and the wild things that happen when you have – eight weeks with a group of people whom you haven't met before and might not ever meet again. And uh, it doesn't have to be summer camp if, if you're on real world or whatever. People make a lot, of course, of, of those shows being on TV and televised. But I think it's it's really as much as it is about that, as it's as much as it is about TV, it is about, um, about time constraints that – we have to make the most of it because when summer is over, we're all going back to school or when the TV show is over, we're going back to our regular lives. And so I have friendships that only exist within summer camp. So I have, I have best friends, quote unquote, who I, I never saw again. And yet the memory of those people is so strong because it was like life in a simulation. It was eight weeks, make the most of it. And so time, of course, is, is another important constraint to think about. A buddy of mine who I worked with, Timothy Fitz, I worked with him on a project called Canvas in the in the early 10s. I worked so from 2011 to, or so to 2013 or so we worked together. I don't I don't know the exact dates, but we built an app. It was called Canvas. It was a community. Uh, we were interested in helping you unlock creativity in your everyday life. And so constraints, of course, were important to us. And Timothy tweeted after the fall of Vine something about well, – I should be able to find exactly what he said so that I don't misquote him. But something along the lines of – here we are. As someone with a lifelong passion in building and participating in online communities, they seem fundamentally incompatible with VC money. And there was a nice conversation that ensued. And I tend to agree with Timothy, but – it, it made me it made me wonder about constraints 
in communities and constraints in businesses. And I don't have a fully fleshed out thought here, but I thought I would just jam with you for a few minutes if we might do that. So we've seen that if I'm trying to create a profitable business or, or a, a VC fundable business, and my business is a community and I want my community to be creative. Of course, constraints make a ton of sense. So if I'm Twitter, 140 characters, if I'm Vine, I'm six seconds. If I'm Instagram, I'm filters and square photos. If I'm DrawQuest, which was an app that we built as part of Canvas, I'm daily drawing challenges with specific prompts, a challenge and response format. There's all sorts of constraints that you can, you can put, impose on a community to foster creativity. But what about the other forms of constraint that we've talked about? So there's time. Well, DrawQuest had a time component. Uh, you had daily drawing challenges. But what other creative things could you do with time? What if a community itself only survived for a week? What if it only survived for a month? What if every day that community was destroyed and was born again? Um, I'm, I'm really interested in in structuring that because again, if, if my claim is that time is what made summer camp such a valuable time, or if time is what made the real world and road rules challenges so engaging, then what would happen if we imposed time constraints on communities? And of course, if you're listening along, you're going to say that's, well, that's one of the most idiotic ideas you could have because, of course, our, our aim here was to build something that was VC fundable. And if you're going to destroy it after a week, where's the there there? And the point, the answer to that would be that, of course, the, the community isn't the fundable part. The platform for communities is we create uh, a product that breeds many new communities that themselves might be short-lived, but they burn brightly and then we light another candle. And I think there's probably something there. I don't, I don't think it's totally speculative. Uh, see, that was the Sam Harris thing, like totally speculative. So I've, I think I've been doing pretty good with the ums, but the Sam Harris intonations have been terrible. Isn't it, isn't it horrible how we talk different? I have no problem with writing different. Like if I'm going to write for myself or write for others, I love taking on different voices, but the the actual voice, I, I hate poetry voice. If you go to poetry readings and people read their poems to you, the the voice they take on or now what I'm doing with podcasts, it's just, it's so awful. Anyway, um, and there's my, um, this is a very, this is a very self-critical episode of the podcast. This might be the traces, the last traces of my jet lag. We were talking about a platform for community. Yeah, I think, I think there's probably something there. I, I like the idea of a community that fails. There's, there's other ways to impose constraints though. It doesn't have to be content. It doesn't have to be time. It can be volume of content. It can be number of people, a community that only lets a hundred people in. So exclusivity, a community that for instance, self-destructs after a hundred content objects are created I started a newsletter that was going to self-destruct after 100 emails, and it turned out that 100 emails is a ton of emails to write. I think I'm on like number 18 right now, and so it's it's hilarious. <laughs> like <laughs> just going back to the, the my mindset at the beginning, like oh, okay, I'm only going to be able to write 100 emails, so this will be really interesting because I'll have to be sort of very thoughtful about 
what emails I do or don't write. And now I'm desperate for anything. I'm not even in the twenties yet. And I don't, I don't see myself ever getting to a hundred. Anyway, so all sorts of, all sorts of fun constraints. And I, I think they would be in many cases disasters. And that would be interesting. I'm reminded of sort of fallout. If you've played the video game series fallout, it takes place in a post-apocalyptic future where you emerge from a vault. I think it's usually vault 111, but as you go on your journeys, there's any number of vaults. And it turns out that the government ran an experiment on each vault. And so when you end up exploring these vaults, there you always are uncovering very dark experiments run. So for instance, maybe in one of them, everyone is exposed to a little bit of radiation therapy or in another, they were all living in a simulation thinking that the real world was fine or in another they tried to create a situation which would produce mutiny and planted all sorts of evidence against the supervisor. It's really, it's really fun stuff. So time is a constraint, content constraints, volume constraints around number of people or number of content objects. Paul Ford sort of, I almost said famously, but of course famously among a very small group of people launched something called Tilda Club, which uh, I, I thought was really smart and really fun. And I don't, this year, you can really start to appreciate how little I understand about technology, but it basically ran on his machine, maybe his MacBook, or I don't know what machine it was running on. So the server was uh, fragile, I guess you could say. And so his point was, if if this community gets popular enough, I can't guarantee that anything will stick around. And so it had this fragility baked into it that was very, very interesting. Sort of it it was inherently ephemeral. But what was even cooler about it was it wasn't rule-based. It wasn't a rule-based constraint. Paul wasn't saying, I've got a sinister or fallout type idea of like, aha, this will self-destruct after X people. It was even cooler than that because it was very organic. It was sort of this, look, Tilda Club can't handle this many people. And rather than say, and, and as Paul, I'm going to invest in more servers if we hit those limits, he kind of said, just be make sure you've got everything backed up because I can't I can't guarantee the survival of this community. The the dot club community, and he did release or someone else released, I don't know, I don't know who the people were involved. I just knew that Paul was involved. Uh, someone released sort of a DIY dot club instruction manual so anyone could start their food club on their own box and invite people. And I think that's probably the closest thing to what I'm talking about that I've seen in, ever, maybe, um, on the internet. Of course, I worked at a company called Ning way back in the day, which is a platform for creating your own social network for anything. And spiritually, Ning was similar, but Ning didn't have any constraints beyond the ones that we imposed for financial reasons, namely that if your community had over X gigabytes of data, then we would charge you more because you were more expensive to maintain. Um, I think I've shared some of the cooler ideas that I've had around communities, a community that will explode after some amount of time or a community that will, that can only have so many people in it. And so if you hit a hundred people, now you have to start kicking people out. If you want to let people in uh, these little sort of mini societies that invite 
the tensions and frictions that happen in real society. I think that's that's exciting. It, it starts start to veer off the path of VC fundable, but there's probably something interesting that sits in the intersection of that Venn diagram. Of course, the the Ulipo rooted community that I've always wanted to launch is something like Twitter, but uh, mobile only and sits on top of a keyboard that itself changes every day or every week to really actually, it's, it's pure really that, that, that changes your, your ability to input anything. So if you know me, you know, I'm very interested in interfaces for expression and interested in mobile keyboards in particular. I launched one of my own called the prisoner's keyboard in which you could disable letters. I also helped start a company called slash keyboard that lets you search and share um, for anything and, and, and put it right into your keyboard with a slash link. Um, so this is stuff I, I've thought about a lot and I would, my dream is one day to have a community where we're all using the same keyboard on any given day. And so if you open up Ulipo on one day, maybe there's no E on the keyboard. And if you open it up the next Monday, maybe all it is, is just a camera. And if you open up another Monday, maybe it's just something to doodle. I think that would be really fun. Um, just to sort of see what would happen. It's, it's that it's, it, it's keeping things fresh. And maybe this comes from a deep place of cynicism on my part. I don't think of it as cynical, but I think that like if left alone, everything falls apart. You've got to keep stoking the fire. And I think with something like DrawQuest, the way to do that was with these new challenges every day. That's what kept people coming back. And with something like Ulipo, it's, I wonder why, I wonder what I'll see today. When you have really, really great communities, the community is the driver of that novelty. I wonder what the community is going to say today. And you can eventually remove those constraints. And of course, that's what all these products do. Twitter has thought about removing 140 characters and has gotten around it in a bunch of other ways. Instagram now doesn't care about square photos. You, you sort of remove the scaffolding at some point. The scaffolding is never meant to be there forever, but it certainly helps get things started. I want to close on a weird note, which is the least well thought out part of constraint, but I think it's important and I, I would love to investigate it further if I ever take this sort of constraint discussion into a more formal format. And that's about like sex and power and comfort. And so I don't know exactly what to do with this, but constraints and, and restraints are important aspects of pleasure and pain. And so concretely, I'm thinking about masochism and sadomasochism. If you Google the word restraint, let's Google it right now. I'd imagine that unless you've got adults, whatever turned, whatever. Well, let's see. Let's do Google images for restraint and see what we get here. Yeah, so you've got, you start to get some sex toys in here, uh, being tied to the bed. You've got a gag, a blindfold, right? These are all operations we do on our freedom of mobility. What did, what did our core user call it? Freedom of action, thus restriction. I mean, you could read this Navy planning manual as a sex manual, restricting freedom of action. And it's not a total outlier here. If constraint breeds creativity, and constraint also breeds pleasure, and constraint also breeds pain. What are the brain states that underlie all these experiences? I don't know what the answer to that is, but I'm very interested in finding out. And 
while we're talking about sex, let's throw autism into the mix. I don't know the first thing about autism. Well, I guess I do know the first thing about autism. And one of those first things is that uh, uh, a lot of, uh, again, a lot of, I don't know how many, what percent, but some autistic children are feel much more comfortable in snug places. And there are even devices to, let's see um, if I can find any of them, to, to actually help kids get comfortable. Let's see, Dr. Temple Grandin. That's right. So Dr. Temple Grandin is, I think, the woman who was portrayed in a movie by Claire Danes, and she invented some animal husbandry mechanics, like to make sure that <coughs> – actually, excuse me. I actually don't know if it's husbandry when you're slaughtering the animals, but she figured out more humane ways to slaughter animals. And she invented a device called a squeeze machine for herself when she was having issues. And since, since we're at the tail end of the podcast, and if you're losing patience with me, feel free to drop off. But I'm, I'm going to try to Google this live and see if I can't find more about it. Because I think Bruno showed me, Bruno, a, a guest of the podcast, if, if you're a longtime fan. I, I think he maybe showed me what she had written because I think she wrote like a, a memoir of it. And it's the hug machine. And, you know, interestingly, I think it, it both soothed her and it soothes cows. Cattle squeeze shoots were Grandin's inspiration for her own hug machine. Super duper interesting. And again, I, I think it's somewhat related. I would imagine that if let's put on our, our neuroscientist hats and imagine we're doing an fMRI study, this stuff all has to be related, right? Like sensory deprivation is, has some kind of effect on one's feeling of pleasure or pain and potentially even creativity. It's possible that the feeling you get not being able to write more than 140 characters and bumping against that constraint, it might be bump. It might be related to the feeling of not being able to wiggle your left arm because it's tied to the bed, and that might be related to a feeling of uh, uh, peace and tranquility because you're not you're you're in a squeeze machine. You're not able to move, and you're going to be sit there for a while. So any, any proper investigation of constraints in closing should do more than just talk about the content constraints and how those breed creativity. We should be thinking about structural constraints like format and like time and like volume and space. We should be thinking about those constraints. And then finally, we should be thinking about constraints, the role of those beyond expression and into any brain state. Um, and I think like as a whole, this is an area that deserves more investigation um, and it's something that uh, I would like to explore further with you in a future episode. Until then, thank you for listening. This has been the Barcast. See you next time.